Hello, everyone, and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 610 for release on Sunday, November 1st, 2020. On the program for today, the world-famous American radio station KDKA celebrates 100 years. The story of the original medium-wave station 8ZZ. Gasfire serves as a radio microphone. And our Japan DX report. Well, exactly 100 years ago tomorrow, November 2nd, 2020, the world-famous American medium-wave radio station KDKA in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, honors the historic occasion of its first radio broadcast. It was at 8 o'clock on Tuesday evening, November 2nd, 1920, that the fledgling and quite primitive radio broadcasting station KDKA began the broadcast of information about the voting results in the nationwide presidential election. This is KDKA of the Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company in East Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Here now is Ray Robinson with the story of the original medium wave station 8ZZ. Thanks, Jeff. Throughout the entire month of this November 2020, KDKA is presenting a series of radio programs that feature the historic and interesting background of this honourable medium-wave broadcasting station. It is true KDKA was not the first radio broadcasting station in the United States, but its inauguration exactly one century ago gave a turning point impetus to the development of radio broadcasting, not only in the United States, but ultimately throughout the world. We here at WaveScan rightly honour the KDKA story and over a period of time we're planning a brief series of programmes acknowledging this memorable occasion that feature the story of this historic medium wave and short wave station. In our programme today we present the story of this high profile radio broadcasting station under its original call sign 8ZZ, not under its better known call sign KDKA. And so we go back to the beginning. During World War I, the Westinghouse factory at East Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was permitted to carry out radio experimentation, even though the majority of stations throughout the United States were already closed at the time as a wartime security measure. The radio call sign at Westinghouse during the war years was 2WE. Interestingly, this call sign 2WE was a security cover-up call sign. The prefix 2 belonged to nearby states, not to Pennsylvania. At the end of the war, Westinghouse already had two transmitters in operation, and these were an Alexanderson alternator unit for use with Morse code on 3,200 metres long wave, 93 kHz, and a tube or valve unit on 500 metres, 600 kHz medium wave. With peace in the air, Westinghouse then turned their attention to the possible use of radio for intercommunication between their network of factories and other facilities throughout the United States, though mainly in the East. In September 1920, a newspaper item stated that Westinghouse in Pennsylvania already had a new transmitter under construction for this very purpose, to communicate with their network of factories. 
The location for this large multi-purpose factory was listed as near Turtle Creek, though these days the location is acknowledged more broadly as East Pittsburgh, half a dozen miles southeast of downtown Pittsburgh. Wikipedia accurately states that shortly after beginning the process of setting up the new radio station that will be used for point-to-point communication, a series of events occurred which resulted in it also becoming a broadcasting station, which would overshadow its original role. The transmitter for this new radio station was designed and constructed by electrical engineer Donald Little, under the direction of Dr. Frank Conrad, and work began before a license was received. Voting day for the nationwide 1920 Harding-Cox presidential elections was set for Tuesday, November the 2nd. Initially, Frank Conrad had planned to broadcast the progressive voting results over his own amateur radio station, 8XK, in the same way as many other amateur radio operators were also planning. However, Westinghouse management decided that they would inaugurate their own new radio station for that same purpose, and so they placed a request before the radio inspector in Detroit. Approval was granted as a special amateur grant that permitted transmission on another frequency instead of the two standard and congested channels 360 metres and or 485 metres, 833 kHz and or 618 kHz. In view of the fact that the license was for an amateur station, it was understood that the broadcast of music and information programming was automatically approved. Due to the close proximity of the launch date, the radio inspector in Detroit phoned Westinghouse and gave his approval for the new radio station. He issued a temporary call sign, 8ZZ. The 8 signified the 8th radio district in the United States, The first Z indicated a special issue amateur license, and the second Z was to ensure that there was no conflict with any other call sign already issued. Somewhat simultaneously, the Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C. issued a license to Westinghouse for the operation of an interfactory communication station using the same locally made 100-watt transmitter under the sequential call sign KDKA though this license was sent by postal mail. This new Westinghouse transmitter was installed in a wooden shack that was erected on the western end of the flat roof of the eight-storey Building K at the Westinghouse factory in East Pittsburgh. The antenna system was a 190-foot-long six-wire flat top with 20-foot spreaders. One end of the antenna system was attached to the nearby smokestack and the other end was attached to a 100-foot-long metal pipe. A counterpoise, an exact duplicate of the antenna, was spread across the open space under the antenna itself, and just a little lower than the top of the building. The first test broadcast from the new 100-watt 8ZZ began at 8pm on Monday the 25th of October 1920 on 550 metres, 545 kHz, at the bottom end of what subsequently became the standard AM broadcast band. Additional test broadcasts were carried out on several adjacent channels two days later, on Wednesday, October 27th. Similar transmitter tests were broadcast two days later again on the Friday. Monitoring reports from West Virginia and Ohio indicated good reception. 
The Sunday edition of the Pittsburgh Gazette Times for October the 31st, 1920, stated that everything was ready at Westinghouse for the launching of their new radio station, 8ZZ, with the election broadcasts on the coming Tuesday evening. All local amateur operators that would not be carrying election results were requested to remain silent, beginning at 7pm. Yes, the inaugural broadcast from 8ZZ with its spontaneous local banjo music and spoken announcements in the progressive count for the election voting was highly successful. The station was on the air all night until noon the next day. The same Pittsburgh Gazette Times stated a few days later that the inaugural broadcast from the new Westinghouse radio station was indeed, quote, highly successful, unquote. Soon afterwards, the usage of the special temporary amateur broadcast callsign 8ZZ expired, and in its place, Westinghouse applied the communication callsign KDKA to its program broadcasts over the same transmitter. After several subsequent major changes in location, electronic equipment and frequencies, KDKA is still with us to this day, exactly 100 years later, with 50,000 watts on 1020 kilohertz. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Three months back, we presented the story here in Wavescan about a radio receiver that was powered by a kerosene flame in a household light. The electric current was generated when a group of dissimilar metal junctions was heated in the kerosene flame. Within our program today, Ray Robinson has the story of a gas fire that served as a radio microphone. This is what happened. Back in the year 1923, radio pioneer and inventor Dr. Lee DeForest wrote an article that was published in the popular American monthly radio magazine, Radio News. In this article, DeForest described how he had developed a radio microphone that was powered by a gas flame. During that era, microphones were designed with a thin metal diaphragm attached near a coil of wire surrounding a permanent magnet, and this diaphragm translated the sound energy of a human voice and musical instruments into an electric current. This current was then amplified electronically for transmission by radio. However, the reproduction quality was rather poor, and investigations were made into improving the sound quality. Dr. DeForest developed a method of using a gas flame as a microphone with the intent of improving the quality of the reproduced sound signal. He constructed a simple apparatus using two separated heat-resistant electrodes with a constant burning flame between them. As any sound impinged upon the flame, the electrodes in the edge of the flame picked up the sound vibrations as a small varying electric current that was then amplified for transmission by radio. This newly invented procedure succeeded, though with several inherent problems. The usage of the flame as a microphone produced a distorted or sometimes silent signal if the flame was disturbed by a slight movement of the air. In addition, the procedure with a burning flame was indeed cumbersome, and perhaps even dangerous in time of accident. In an endeavour to improve on his invention of a flame microphone, DeForest then experimented with electric fire, that is, a high-voltage arc. The twin electrodes did indeed pick up a minuscule electric current as the sound waves impinged on the electric flame, but herein developed another problem. The high-level sound of the arc itself impinged upon the desired sound variations of the flame, thus destroying any usable signal. 
<laughs> Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray. Aaron Castillo is a shortwave listener who lives in the Los Angeles area. He's a computer science student at Los Angeles Pierce College. And recently, he began a program at the college's radio station, kpcradio.com, called Electronic Echoes, an exploration into the world of shortwave radio. On the first edition of the program, Aaron interviewed Macon Dale, who's the transmitter plant supervisor at the Voice of America, or USAGM, shortwave transmitter site in Greenville, North Carolina. Here's part of that interview. What have been the worst moments you've been at the station, and what have been some of the best moments in terms of your experience? Um, well, I guess probably the worst, uh, one of the worst moments that we've had was early, well, back in the early 90s, we were installing a, uh, not we, but a contractor was installing uh, one of our new slewable high-gain curtain antennas, and one of the uh, riggers fell off the tower and oh, no. unfortunately uh, did not survive the fall. Oh. And uh, so that, that was a very humbling experience, and uh, we were all very saddened that that happened. Uh, on the other hand, uh, one of the high points of our uh, moment, actually we've had several uh, uh, the installation of three new-to-us transmitters, which we just got on the air last year. They uh, came from uh, a site that had been uh, decommissioned, and we were able to have those transmitters shipped into us and got them on the air. And uh, they replaced uh, the, I guess, the original three transmitters that were built and uh, purchased for their site. They were designed uh, back in... We figured the late 1940s and were purchased in the late wow. 1950s and stayed uh, in storage for, I think, 10 years, and then they were finally uh, released and installed in the site. So we uh, had the privilege of decommissioning those, getting them out of the building, and we had had basically a clean slate to work with as, as far as installing these transmitters, and that, that was a real thrill. You removed these legacy transmitters and installed modern much more advanced. Yes. Our power bill has uh, decreased dramatically and our uh, reliability has gone up uh, quite a bit since we got these uh, new transmitters online. It it was a a, a good day for us. Speaking of your transmitters, you have very many powerful transmitters. I just want to get some context here for people who don't know about transmitters, but in Los Angeles, uh, the most powerful AM stations can run at 50 kilowatts. Some of the stations at your site can run at 500, If I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of them run at 500 kilowatts. That is correct. And that is so much power that you can reach a lot of the world. And I was correct. wondering how effective are, are your transmissions, how much feedback are you getting, and how many QSO cards are you receiving per month, roughly? Um, it, it goes in spells. Uh, as I'm looking at my printer now, I have, uh, just past, uh, week and a half, looks like I've maybe got, uh, 10 QSL requests in, and, uh, I'll be processing those. I try to answer every one that, uh, has requested the QSL card, and, uh, they, they go out to our listeners. I've got them from, uh, 
uh, all the way from, from uh, our site here, from Japan, uh, Brazil, Africa, a lot of places in Italy and Morocco, and uh, uh, we we just get them from all over the place. And uh, it's it's very comforting to know that our signals are, are going to these uh, far off locations. Most of the listener uh, reports that we get are from areas that we're not even uh, targeting, which means that uh, with the uh, high gain antennas we have, we're primarily uh, uh, pointed in one direction, and these uh, listeners may be off 90 degrees from that. So wh what they're getting is basically gravy compared to what we're actually sending to our target audience. Recently, you were awarded the Broadcasting Board of Directors Gold Medal Award. Could you please explain to us what does that mean and why it's such a great award to get? Well, for me personally, that was uh, one of the, the high point of my life, so to speak. Uh, they um, awarded uh, these medals to individuals uh, in the agency that uh, has theoretically gone well above uh, what would normally be expected uh, of an individual's contribution to the network. And um, I was humbled enough that they, uh, they thought that uh, my contributions were worthy of, of this award. And... Uh, I uh, took my family up to uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, for the presentation, and that, that was a great weekend. The uh, U.S. Agency for Global Media or Broadcasting Board of Governors, as it uh, was before they changed the name, uh, the studios are located in Washington, D.C. That's the home base for this agency, and we're basically remote from them. So uh, Fortunately, we're close enough uh, drive time that they can come down to here uh, to Greenville and see us, and, and we can likewise go up there if we have to uh, attend any major meetings of any of any sort. You've been working for the Voice of America for over 35 years. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, that's correct. Yes. What do you see for the future of your station? Well, I would like to uh, see that uh, those in upper management continue to realize the benefits of uh, having uh, shortwave as a uh, tool in the toolbox, not, necess not necessarily the only tool that they've got, but in addition to a satellite and local placement that uh, uh, shortwave broadcasting would, would still be a uh, viable tool to use. There's still a lot of people in the world that uh, don't have access to the Internet or they can't afford the Internet or they're in a uh, government that does not particularly enjoy having outside influence on their population. Uh, for instance, the Internet can be controlled by a lot of the countries, and it's near about impossible to get an outside uh, country to be able to get their information into a controlled country. And the same with satellite. It's uh, extremely difficult uh, to receive a satellite uh, downlink signal, assuming that it's not... Uh, encrypted by the general population. On the other hand, once the uh, signal leaves our broadcast transmitters and goes uh, up to the ionosphere and comes back down, there is no one, or as we call it, a gatekeeper that can touch our broadcast. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere in a grass hut or wherever with a shortwave receiver, what, what you hear coming from us is what's coming from us. It cannot be edited. It cannot be changed and you're getting the, uh, the direct uh, voice of America, so to speak. You were listening there to Macon Dale.
the transmitter plant supervisor at the Edward R. Murrow Transmitting Station, the last U.S. government shortwave transmitter site in the continental United States. He was interviewed by Aaron Castillo on his program Electronic Echoes on kpcradio.com, the radio station at Los Angeles Pierce College in California. Now it's over to Tokyo and Yukiko Tsuji with her DX report. Hello and welcome to the DX report of the month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshi Otake and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. Mr. Nishiguchi had some interesting D expeditions in Kanagawa Prefecture near Tokyo. Here are some of his loggings. XEMO from Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico, was heard on 860 kHz on September 21st from 1000 to 1005 UTC in Spanish. SIO rating was 222. Ranchera music was played. ID was given at 1000 as XAMO, La Poderosa, 860 kHz. Reception place was Nojima Park in Yokohama City. CHQT from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, was heard on 880 kHz on September 19th from 0857 to 0910 UTC in English. SIO rating was 222. News talk program was on the air. ID was given at 0859 as CHQT World Information Radio. He received this program at Higashi Ogishima in Kawasaki City. KCTA from Corpus Christi, Texas, USA was received on 1030 kHz on September 30th from 0956 to 1005 UTC in English. SIO rating was 222, then down to 211. News talk program was aired. ID was given at 0959 as Corpus Christi, this is KCTA. Reception place was Shiokaze Park in Yokosuka City. KXEL from Waterloo, Iowa, USA was heard on 1540 kHz on September 19th from 0957 to 1006 UTC in English. SIO rating was 222. News talk program was broadcast. ID was given at 1000 as News Talk 1540 KXEL Waterloo. Then Fox News started. He heard this program at Higashi Ogishima in Kawasaki City. We have some more DX reports from our club members this week. Vatican Radio via Tinan, Philippines, was heard on 5920 kHz on October 7th from 1505 to the sign off at 1529 UTC. SIO rating was 343. Talk program in Tamil was aired until 1510, then talk program in Malayalam started after that. Radio New Zealand International was heard on 11725 kHz on October 10th from the sign on at 0459 to 0605 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. Interval signal, talk program, and live concert were aired. Followed by time signal and news at 0600. This frequency was switched from 9700 kHz on October 1st. Radio France International was received on 15320 kHz on October 3rd from 0804 to 0825 UTC in French. 
SIO rating was 353. News was on the air, followed by discussion by two male announcers at 0811. The parallel frequency 13695 kHz was SIO rating 353. World Christian Broadcasting via Madagascar was heard on 9765 kHz on October 4th. From 2106 to 2131 UTC in Portuguese. SIO rating was 353, then down to 252. Sermon was aired. Talk program by a female announcer started at 2128. WBCQ from Monticello, Maine, USA was heard on 9330 kHz on October 5th. From 2158 to 2215 UTC in Portuguese. SIO rating was 252. Music was played until 2200, then ID was given, followed by talk program by two male announcers. Finally, Japan Shortwave Club will issue the QSO cards for the correct reports on our segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSO card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is JSWCQSL at LIVE dot JP. I repeat, JSWCQSL at LIVE dot JP. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44 Kamakura, which is K A M A K U R A, postal code. 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we'd like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Tetsuya Toriyumi, and Mr. Takashi Nishiguchi for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shotev Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you, Yukiko. Well, thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week on the program, radio broadcasting from the other Mount Everest, our Philippine DX reports, and much more next week on WaveScan. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. You can send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, that I'll give you in a moment, and also directly to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI. Or WWCR, or KVOH, or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in WaveScan, such as today's report from Japan. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for Adventist World Radio QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P R A 
K A N O N G, Bangkok, one zero one one zero, Thailand. Again, that's Adventist World Radio, PO Box two three four, Prakanong, Bangkok, one zero one one zero, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to WaveScan, not for reception reports, is wavescan at awr. Dot O-R-G. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone.